When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. Why robots are not going to take your jobs. Peter Capelli. Improvements in artificial intelligence are coming along that will allow us to do all kinds of things with technology that might replace people. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Richard, you know I like you, but what would happen <laughs> if I told you that we were going to replace you with a robot? Ah, but Jim, if we replace me, then you're next. So two robots having a <laughs> polite and yet often argumentative conversation. How do we fix it? As President Trump's first nominee for Labor Secretary, Andrew Puzder, said, Machines, they're always polite. They never take a vacation. They never show up late. Yeah, but look at what happened to Puzder, who withdrew his nomination uh, when it looked like that he would suffer a humiliating defeat in the I, Senate. I think the fact that his name was Puzder was half the problem. <laughs> Probably. Or butts, perhaps. <laughs> On this episode, we look at the future of work and the role of automation. Clearly, one of the biggest challenges we're facing in our economy. A recent McKinsey management report suggests employers could swap machines for humans in 50% of today's jobs. That's kind of an alarming yeah, number. Right. And that's not just low-paid work, but also some skilled white-collar employment as well. Many experts say we're facing an automation bomb. Okay, so before we get too depressed about this, let's bring on our guest. Peter Capelli is a management professor at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School. Professor Capelli, the author of numerous research papers and books, he served on advisory panels and has a remarkably impressive resume. He joins us via Skype from Philadelphia. Welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here with you robots. <laughs> robots to be. <laughs> a lot of good jobs are at risk, maybe even ours. Is that, is that statement true? Well, you know, the biggest change in technology has been not automation, but the ability to do work at a distance via the Internet. So, you know, the offshoring of all this intellectual, we used to think middle class intellectual jobs and programming stuff had nothing to do with automation. It had to do with the Internet and the fact that you could send the stuff back and forth to India and other countries very quickly. Uh, I wanted to say uh, something about what appears to be the the main piece of evidence for this, uh, the idea that robots are taking 
over everything, and that has to do with manufacturing jobs. And I've been digging into this research to, to, to see if I can figure out what the truth really is on this. So here's what we know, right? Manufacturing jobs have declined very sharply in the U.S. They've been declining for some time uh, at, uh, because of productivity Im improvements, and the share of the economy going to manufacturing jobs has shrunk. That is, we're spending more money on services and less money on manufactured goods over time. So that's one reason why it has shrunk, but productivity has contributed to that. But the productivity improvements in manufacturing have been just about the same as the productivity improvements in the economy as a whole. So there really isn't any evidence of this enormous burst in productivity but nevertheless, there have been huge changes in manufacturing. There have been many pretty well-paid jobs in large parts of what are now sadly called the Rust Belt, where workers used to make $20, $25 an hour at large yes. factories. And now you go to, to, a, to a factory that has maybe 20 workers, where years ago it would have had hundreds of workers. Yeah, well, for sure. But let's unpack that. First of all, the decline in wages has to do with the decline in unions. There is nothing about a General Motors assembly job that required that you had to pay people the equivalent now loaded in with benefits of 40 or $50 an hour. There's nothing about that job that requires they have to be paid that much. There's nothing about a home health care worker job, which is now about the lowest paid job, that requires that people should only be paid eight or nine dollars an hour. You know, it's not that the manufacturing jobs have to pay well, right? It has to do with supply and demand, and it has to do with institutional arrangements like unions. You know, the idea, uh, the main argument, which has been told at a kind of 40,000 foot level, is that manufacturing jobs have declined sharply. And then in the 2000s, they declined even more sharply, and they didn't come back up. And the assertion is that it must have to do with productivity. But the evidence on that is just not so clear. Yeah, you can tell anecdotal stories about all kinds of changes, but uh, the evidence doesn't seem really to be supporting that one so much. So this, what is the story we've got? Really, we've got a story about what is technologically possible. And the story about what is technologically possible is that improvements in artificial intelligence are coming along, they're not quite there yet, that will allow us to do all kinds of things with technology that might replace people. Uh, what that's going to cost, that's a different question. How well it's actually going to work, that's another question. Labor is pretty cheap in the U.S., and you have to have a pretty cheap robot to be able to replace somebody who you're only paying $15 an hour to. So I think the story behind all these, quote, reports and all these projections about what's going to happen are really just stories about what is technologically possible, which is really different than what actually is likely to happen. And, you know, a lot of these things will happen. As in the past, they will come in relatively slowly. It's not the case that all truck drivers are going to be out of work in five years. It's not the case that all manufacturing people are going to be out of work in five years. You know, these things are come in slowly. They're not going to come in exactly as the pundits 
predict because the systems are really complicated. So how far off from the mainstream set of beliefs are you, Peter? Do, well, do you well, find guess, yourself in, in sharp disagreement with most experts, or, or or do you feel that the way that the debate is being framed by the news media is, is, is kind of ridiculous? Uh, well, I think... Uh, the way uh, the media works, sensational stories get news, right? And the people who are who are in the news on these topics are people who are arguing for the most sensational perspective. And it's people who produce robots, too. So a lot of these stories have been pushed along by the industry and the people who make and support robots. And the this is an interesting issue maybe to start talking about public policy, but the U.S. government spends a lot of money advocating robotics. Now, why is that? Well, one of the reasons is people seem to think that robotics are what technology what, what technology is about, but also what productivity improvements are about. And that's simply not true. There are lots of ways in which productivity can be improved by the way people operate. And in fact, I would argue that the greatest revolutions in the way work has been performed, certainly in the past hundred years, have had to do with changes in management, not with pieces of technology. And even if you think about the assembly line, the assembly line wasn't a piece of technology. It was an idea about how to organize work. And the biggest changes in manufacturing in the past generation have been driven by lean production, the Japanese models from Toyota and other companies, right, which are ideas about how you organize things. And actually, they use less technology than the systems that came before them. So I think we are downplaying other ways in which we could improve productivity. And because it's cool and people have a financial interest in it, we're talking about robotics as the answer to productivity problems. And and that's not necessarily the story. Well, Jim, you're the former editor-in-chief of Popular Mechanics, and you have some strong feelings about this. Do you agree with Peter? I tend to be kind of a market optimist. Yeah, but uh, you're also a gee whiz tech guy, too. Right. Well, when technology does change jobs, the jobs get eliminated tend to be the somewhat more boring, <laughs> less desirable jobs. In the 50s, some huge proportion of people in this country were, were employed as telephone operators. I think for a lot of people, it's a little bit of a mystery that an entire job category could go away over the course of a couple of decades without leaving all those people kind of out on the street. Yeah. How do these transitions take place? Well, if you look at the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics projections of where the jobs are going to be, the 20 jobs with the most projected growth out of those 20, only two of them appear to require a college education. Wow. Uh, so, you know, it isn't the case. It isn't the case that there's this big shift in, in at least how the experts think about where jobs are going to be uh, away from unskilled jobs and toward high-skilled jobs. That's another one of those conclusions you would get by looking at anecdotes or looking at the extreme examples. I think there, you know, there is an issue about the pace of change in labor markets being a problem, but I think that has more to do with management, and that is how quickly do companies make changes. And the management uh, approach to this, uh, which is new in this generation, has been that if you've got something like uh, a new piece of technology coming in, let's say you've got the possibility to uh, do something like eliminate telephone operators. Well, you could retrain those people for other jobs in your company, or you could lay them all off. 
Uh, and a generation ago, it was much more common to train people for new jobs inside your company. You could retrain them for something else in your company, or you could dump them on the labor market. I like to be optimistic about this, but I have to admit, when looking at all the things that we're facing, like the self-driving cars and you know a major advance in artificial intelligence and how that affects a lot of other functions that people do as jobs – I guess I need a little reassurance, Peter. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in, in your take of sure. why these concerns are overblown. Well, I think there are lots of things that might become technologically possible that are not practical or are not financially sensible and worth doing. So, for example, it is possible to have flying cars. The technology is there to do it. The problem is the infrastructure isn't there to allow it. And if you start thinking about what would happen if everybody actually was flying to work in their cars, uh, it would be a complete disaster. And so a lot of the things that we're talking about, I mean, let's plunge into one if you want. Let's plunge into driverless cars. So what does that actually mean? Suppose the car could drive itself and you didn't have to drive it. What would be different? Nothing, really. You'd be in the passenger seat and the car would be driving itself. So if you got a driverless car, it's not going to eliminate any jobs. You still have to have a car. You could still sit in the driver's seat. Or you could sit in the seat next to it. What, what difference is that going to make? Now, the question of driverless trucks. Let's just think about what a truck driver actually does. So the majority of truck drivers in the U.S. are delivery drivers. And only part of what they do is drive the truck. They load the truck in the morning. They got to find a place to park, right? And sometimes they've got to decide, as if you live in a city, if you're a delivery truck driver, where are you going to double park? Uh, because there are no parking spots. And how long do you think it's safe to double park without trying to get a ticket? Now, it's possible all that could be automated. How about when you do get a ticket or you, the policeman is there? You have to go over and talk to the policeman and say, hey, uh, really, just give me a minute. I'm just dropping this. Hey, we're in this together. You know, we're both working outside today. You, you don't live in New York, do you? <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm in Philadelphia, you know. Uh, and then you got to go up to the door, you got to deliver it, you got to get somebody to sign it. If there's nobody there, how long do you wait to ring the bell? Where do you put the package? And then you got to go back to your truck and off you go. <laughs> now, it's not just driving a truck, you're going to need a robot that gets out and does all that stuff. Now, let's say you got a truck that will drive itself and you're the delivery company like UPS. Are you really going to pay to have a robot drive the truck while a guy is just sitting there next to the robot and then the guy gets out and does all that other stuff? Why would you ever do that, right? So it's how is it going to eliminate that job? I don't see how that's going to happen. So the one place where it could happen is on long distance truck driving. You could have a robot drive that. But we could already do that. We could already cut the cost of drivers in half if we allowed tandem load. So you're one truck pulling two different trailers. We don't allow that for all kinds of safety reasons. And that's no different if you had a, a robot. But let's say you did that. Let's say you allowed a robot to drive this thing, right? The robot's got to pull in to get gas every once in a while. Who's going to fill up the truck? Who's going to clean the lens off the little camera when there's schmutz on the road? Who's going to clear that off? Here's another one. Airplanes, commercial airplanes, have been able to fly themselves 
for a long time. Why don't we do that? Well, the reason we don't do it is because it would creep everybody out if you had nobody in the cockpit up there. And we think occasionally when the robots don't work, it's good to have somebody up there. So the technology was capable of getting rid of pilots a long time ago, and yet we still don't do it. Right? Before we get on with the rest of this, just a little note to, to listeners that if you're interested in the whole self-driving issue, uh, Jim's friend Eddie Alterman of Car and Driver magazine made some really strong points in an earlier episode of How Do We Fix It on why self-driving cars may be further off in the future than, than many people think. But, but Peter, I want to go back to something you and I share in common. As kids, we both went to the World's Fair. Why is that experience for you and I relevant to this conversation? <laughs> because the 1964 World's Fair, they were promising us robots in our kitchen and they promised them skype which we eventually did get we had flying cars um, every one of these exhibits general motors had the automated driverless car exhibition and ge had the robots in your home and in some cases we probably just don't want them you know would you rather have a robot delivering your food to you at a restaurant or would you like to have a pleasant engaging server give you your food there are some things that are technologically possible that we just don't want to do sometimes we do though i remember when atms were rolling out I guess yeah. back in the 80s and their tv ads were all about when you come to our bank you don't have to talk to a machine you you can talk to a real live teller and my wife and i kind of looked at each other said, no, we'll take the machine. <laughs> uh, well, here's, the, here's the thing about that that you might not know. The number of tellers in U.S. banks actually went up after ATMs were introduced. That, that's isn't that, incredible. Isn't that interesting? And the reason for that is they discovered all kinds of other things that tellers could do, which were cross-selling and other sorts of things. So, right. So that's, um, that's a really interesting example of that sort of unintended side effect of technology. Another one, a lot of times technology really does eliminate a job. If you'd been gone into a, an office uh, in the 1970s, you know, just any kind of business, you would have seen dozens of people, usually women, whose primary job is just typing, you know, yep. all day long. Yep. And then yep. the desktop computer eliminated that. It didn't eliminate the work. But what we did was a management decision. And the management decision was to push that work onto the individual contributors. Mm -hmm. So most of us have to type all our own documents. Most of us prepare our own PowerPoint slides. We print them. We do all that kind of stuff. Now, you right. could have had somebody do that for you. Uh, and I think most people would argue it probably would save time. It was a management decision because it saves money. And okay, Peter, Peter, I want to jump in here uh, because I want to break this show up into two. We've, we've okay. been talking about why automation may or may not be a huge threat to all of our jobs. And I think you've laid out a great case as to why we should be a little bit more skeptical than many people have been about the negative impact of robotics and technology. We're going to come back with part two of our show and talk about some ways that jobs can be saved. Uh, we're speaking with Peter Capelli, management professor at the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Thank you. So 
So, Richard, our conversation with Peter Capelli of the Wharton School was just so interesting. We decided to keep it rolling and break it into two segments, as we do now and then when we have a really great guest. Everybody's talking about this idea that automation, artificial intelligence, robots are going to wipe out jobs. There's cover stories and magazines. It's so refreshing to hear somebody who has a little more down-to-earth take. And not only a down-to-earth take, but somebody who's thought about this for years and goes back and looks at historical examples. Right. So on the second episode of, of this interview with Peter Capelli, we're going to talk about how jobs, how good jobs can be saved. And what companies can do to make their workers' jobs better, but also how some of the better management techniques will make the companies work better, too. I'm looking forward to it. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our producer is Miranda Schaefer. Music is by Lou Stravinsky. The show is produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.